This is District Sentinel Radio broadcasting out of the Barefoot is Legal studio in Washington, D.C. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are dropping some bonus content on the Sentinel airwaves for both subscribers and non-subscribers today. With the government shutdown, Senate Republicans are busy not trying to fund federal agencies, but trying to pass legislation punishing people who show solidarity with Palestinians. S1 would say that it's okay for states to bar contractors who support the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement targeting Israel, despite the fact that the federal judiciary has already ruled that such laws violate the First Amendment. To add to the farce, Republican leaders brought up the bill twice this week. It failed twice. The second vote just took place before the recording. And immediately after it failed, Mitch McConnell filed a third motion to proceed on the bill. Will a Senate historian contact us and tell us if this is precedented? Well, I don't think it is. I don't think so either. And to help us parse through what's going on we talked to Olivia Catby-Smith, co-chair of the DSA chapter in Portland, Oregon. We spoke to Olivia between the uh, first and second failures of the bill. We might have to speak to her again bef- between the second and third failures of the bill. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe a, maybe the third and fourth. <laughs> Olivia, do you think Republicans are doing this because they correctly assume that Democrats generally support the suppression of Palestinian solidarity? Sure. I mean, so we're on day, what, 19 of the government shutdown. And yeah, I think I think they are they're trying to use that to break the will of the Democrats. And yeah, there are certainly enough Democrats who, you know, happily throw the Palestine solidarity movement under the bus under any other circumstance. So I don't think that that uh, speculation is far off. Um, I also think that this is sort of a chance for Marco Rubio and his allies to get Democrats on record as being anti-Israel, even though that's absolutely not the case. Um, But because they don't want because the Democrats don't want to vote on anything before um, ending the shutdown, he is able to spin it that way. Um, And I think uh, the bottom line, you know, the, the motivating factor behind this is that they are threatened, you know, with support for the BDS movement among his new colleagues like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, um, APAC, and um, everyone who does the dirty work for APAC is feeling more threatened than ever. And um, that is that is ultimately why they are doing this. But a- as you noted, the timing of the shutdown is also important uh, in this story. And it di- it does almost feel like that if... Rubio were to bring up this legislation outside of the shutdown that he would find it uh, Republicans in general would maybe find it easier uh, to get Democrats on board. Well, he still was able to get uh, a few Democrats, a few Democrats on, on board. board. Kristen Sinema, Doug Jones, Joe Manchin, of course, uh, Bob Menendez uh, of New mm-hmm. Jersey too, big, big uh, 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 APAC ally, I would say uh, in Congress. But I, I guess my point is, is that this could easily are you afraid this could maybe pass out if they reopen the government and and things sort of return to normality uh, this could maybe easily pass or something like it could maybe easily pass with uh, with democrat democratic support yeah i think so i mean 
we know that the only reason it failed, you know, it didn't fail because of mass opposition to the content of the bill. It failed because the Democrats have stated that they do not want to vote on any bill before voting to end the shutdown. The vast majority of Democrats are unapologetically pro-Israel and anti-BDS, and I expect that many of them would vote in favor of it if it were not during a shutdown. Um, I mean, you see the the broad support <clears throat> of uh, like bills like the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, um, which you know had many mainstream Democrats as co-sponsors. Um, I am a little bit encouraged to see um, statements from like Senator Bernie Sanders, for example, released a statement um, that said that this was unconstitutional. Um, even like Feinstein released a statement about it being unconstitutional. So I hope that you know they will stick to those principles if this comes up again outside of the shutdown. Um, but I'm certainly not optimistic about it, given their track record on being anti-BDS um, in previous years. We've seen the Anti-Defamation League and uh, other groups outraged that freshman Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib would question Marco Rubio uh, proposing this bill and question uh, whether or not he forgot what country he's supposed to represent. When it comes to this charge of dual loyalty, however, uh, the, the Anti-Defamation League is, is spinning it, uh, I, it's hard to see it any other way when you have uh, this guy who represents Florida from South Florida who's making it his priority right now uh, to criminalize a constitutionally protected form of speech at the behest of a foreign government. Well, I mean, first of all, I would start by saying I think the whole concept of patriotism is a bunch of bullshit. Um, but like, I, I do see, I mean, this, this speaks to the power of the Israel lobby and APAC. And I mean, I know people who work in DC, work for government entities that, you know, are constantly, you know, um, being pressured in these very aggressive ways by APAC and by other um, Israeli lobbying firms. And Frankly, it's impressive. Um, I think that that's something that we need to actually learn from them uh, as as the left, as supporters of the Palestine Solidarity Movement. Um, I think we need to be just as aggressive uh, and and you know learn from how they they peddle their propaganda because they're really good at it. Obviously, so Rubio's proposal would uh, basically try to uh, say that it's okay for states. That if federal law doesn't preempt uh, <clears throat> or that Congress would not preempt states uh, from enacting these types of, of uh, prohibitions on contractors, which is the meat of these uh, anti-BDS bills. But uh, the, the federal judiciary has ruled that it, it's just straight up against the First Amendment. How, do, how does this mm -hmm. recent uh, push sort of compare to, to other uh, anti-BDS pushes in Congress or or bills. Uh, how do you, how do you see it measuring up to to other recent efforts? So so the language of um, the Combating BDS Act, as it's called, um, it encourages state and local governments to essentially punish anyone who boycotts Israel by like boycotting them. So that includes. U.S. companies, but it also includes individuals who might be working on a contract basis or as a sole proprietorship, like we saw with um, educators and uh, teachers that have been fired in states like Texas and Kansas, um, because those states have this type of law and um, those educators refuse to sign an oath pledging not to boycott Israel. Um, 
as well as like those who are applying for grants from the state of Texas for hurricane relief. Um, they were also in, in certain cities, they were asked mm. to um, sign an oath pledging not to boycott Israel. Um, so basically, this bill is trying to circumvent the Constitution to give states explicit authority to punish anyone who boycotts Israel. That is um, different than the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, which uh, would have criminalized those engaging in a boycott by um, imposing a, a financial um, criminal penalty. Um, and the, the original um, text of the bill actually also included um, up to 20 years in prison. That, that was Ben um, Cardin's bill, right? Yes. Yeah. And the Maryland the, Democrat Ben Cardin, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, and obviously the ACLU challenged that um, and it was revised uh, to make it clear that Americans could not be imprisoned for their boycott participation, but it still would um, criminalize participation by imposing uh, criminal financial penalties. And um, like I said, that bill was supported very broadly. It was supported um, by my own senator from Oregon, Senator Ron Wyden, who otherwise um, like posits himself as a civil liberties champion, you know, um, a champion of First Amendment rights. But when it comes to the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, that is like thrown out the window. Um, and, and additionally, there are, I believe, 26 states who already have legislation like this that would um, punish individuals and companies who engage in a boycott or who refuse to um, pledge not to engage in a boycott of Israel. Um, and it's pending in 13 other states, I believe. And um, Palestine Legal is a really good um, resource for um, looking at that legislation um, nationwide. Hmm. It, it is interesting that amid this blatant attack on uh, free speech and free association that a lot of the typical free speech and free association defenders on the left and right are pretty silent, like Jonathan Chait and uh, Barry Weiss, who's in, uh, I think, Australia, talking about how the, uh, the Australians are completely apolitical. <laughs> a, a dark aspect of this whole thing is that clearly... Uh, you feel that some of these people pushing these anti-BDS laws must know that they're unconstitutional and they're going to get struck down. But in the interim, it's ruining people's lives, like uh, people who and, and bless the people who, who feel like they want to take a stand and say, no, I'm not going to sign this pledging to uh, to to uh, refuse to boycott Israel. But. Yeah, that's why. That's why some I of just, it seems like it's just it d designed to uh, put to to ruin people's lives. And, and quite maybe, maybe that is the, the motivation here for Marco Rubio and kind of what my question was getting at. And I, 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 that it pro obviously racism is a factor here uh, as well. That Rubio just doesn't think Palestinians' uh, lives are important at all. And I guess it's the power of the lobby, as you mentioned, uh, Olivia, that 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 pushes it pushes him towards these and pushes other lawmakers like him towards these proposals. And I mean, this is sort of what the lobby does. They ruin people's lives. Um, I'm sure that y'all have heard of Canary Mission, um, which is a yes. website that do that doxes pro-Palestinian activists. It's funded um, in part by the Jewish Federation. Um, and that, you know, ruins people's lives. They can't become, you know, they can't get jobs because of what Canary Mission writes about them. You know, as a BDS activist myself, I've been doxxed, I've been threatened, I had a hit piece written about me. Like, they are not above ruining people's lives. That, that is what they do, because they want to silence anyone who criticizes Israel. Younger people in America increasingly support the Palestinian cause, uh, which is crucial considering the U.S. enables Israeli militarism. 
But are you concerned this trend isn't happening quickly enough? I mean, it seems like every year reports warn how Israel is making the humanitarian crisis in Gaza just worse and worse. Um, I mean, of course I'm concerned it's not it's not happening quickly enough. I think it there should have never been support for um, a state that was founded on ethnic cleansing and occupation and colonization in the first place. Um, but I do think, like, with the rise of a major leftist movement, in the U.S., <clears throat> excuse me, um, you also see a rise in support for Palestine and a rise in criticism of Israel. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, DSA, the largest socialist organization in the United States, um, at our 2017 convention, we passed a resolution uh, supporting the BDS movement. We now have at least two sitting congresswomen that publicly support BDS. Um, you see the huge high-profile BDS wins recently, like Lord, Lionel Messi, Lana Del Rey, um, even pro-Israel uh, celebrities like Natalie Portman um, have refused to go to Israel. <clears throat> I think that public opinion is changing in our favor. And I also think, um, not to be an accelerationist, uh, but I do think that, like much like Trump, uh, Netanyahu's blatant racism and you know blatant support of the ethnic cleansing policies of Israel um, has helped expose Israel for what it is. Um, you know, Trump just this morning when he was um, talking about building the wall, he was praising Israel and praising Netanyahu for the success of the apartheid wall. Um, so I think that is also helping to expose um, what Israel has always been about. Um, and that's helping to change um the, the public opinion and the narrative as well. Not to mention Netanyahu's support for other boorish leaders like Jair Bolsonaro and Viktor Orban, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Uh, you mentioned how Rashida Tlaib is uh, making uh, waves in, in, in Washington for being the first uh, Palestinian-American woman to serve in Congress, for being an unapologetic supporter of, of pal the Palestinian cause, things like BDS and the one-state solution. Uh, what's your reaction generally to uh, how she's been so far serving as a congresswoman and, and the wider reaction to her? Um, I think it's great that there, you know, is a Palestinian woman in Congress um, who supports BDS, supports the uh, Palestinian liberation movement. I do want to know, however, I, I wouldn't say <clears throat> unapologetic because it did take her a minute when she was running, at least to say that publicly. And I do think that was due to pressure from the left. Um, you know, lots of people on the left and in the Palestine solidarity movement were pretty vocally disappointed when she initially, um, had an endorsement from J street, uh, and didn't clarify what her positions were on, on BDS or on, a. um, one or two state solution or on the right of return. Um, and eventually she did and J street withdrew their endorsement. And I think that's indicative of the limits of, um, you know, putting our faith in elected officials. Um, we always have to keep the pressure on because they are just one person and we are the movement and we can't lose sight of that distinction. Um, but otherwise, you know, I am really optimistic about her. Um, I, I like that she called Trump a motherfucker and was unapologetic about it. You know, as an Arab woman myself who gets shit for swearing all the time, I really appreciated <laughs> that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I hope that she, um, you know, keeps doing what she's doing. Olivia Cotby Smith, the co-chair of DSA Portland. You can find her on Twitter at live kitty cat, where you can, uh, you can read more swears, more, more cuss words. <laughs> 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Olivia. Is there anything else you want to plug while you're here, while you're on, while you're on our show? Uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Olivia. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again to Olivia. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to the Sentinel on Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. A big thanks to our sponsor, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be.